Today we ask the question, is Christianity inclusive or exclusive? There is a sentiment in the world and in false churches that you must be a certain type of person before God will forgive you. Many times, speaking about baptism, um, I hear people say, I don't feel I'm ready for baptism. I feel like I haven't been in church long enough or I haven't learned enough or there are still some issues in my life that I need to sort out before I'm ready. Do we have to be spiritually presentable before we can seek salvation? Hopefully most of you already know this answer. Of course not. But why not? If the gospel is freely available to all, then why are there so few gospel-centered Bible churches? Why are they so small? If there is sufficient grace for even the most terrible of sinners, and there is, why does it seem that true believers are so few and far in between, the people that walk the walk, the people that practice what they preach? Today we're going to explore another story from Luke chapter 5. When Jesus encounters a man with leprosy. So we can turn there now, Luke chapter 5. The, event, the events that unfold shows us more of Jesus' purpose, not only to heal the people's physical ailments, but ultimately to restore what was lost, fellowship with God, our Creator. How do we get there? So as we examine the story, by firstly we're going to look at some brief context. The story does need some historical context about leprosy and about ritual purity. We're going to get to that as well. What is ritual purity? The process um, can give us some insight and context into Luke's story here. And why the idea of purity matters. If we have a better understanding of that, we'll have a better understanding of our own sin and ultimately God's salvation. And then we're going to look at the story itself and see how this man approached Jesus, how Jesus responded, and what the man did afterwards. Those three things here are highlighted in your bulletin. He knew who God was. Uh, he knew that God was able, and he asked if God was willing, and he could not help but see God glorified. So let's read it. It's just a few verses here in the beginning of chapter 5. As the people pressed... Um, no, it's not in the beginning of chapter 5. My apologies. It's from verse 12 to 15. Verse 12 to 15. 
And when he was in a certain city, a man full of leprosy, upon seeing Jesus, fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He reached out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then he commanded him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Yet even more so, his fame went everywhere and great crowds came together to hear and to be healed by him for their infirmities. But he withdrew in the wilderness and prayed. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for the truth of Scripture. We thank you that you give us this now that we can learn about Christ our Savior and be introduced to the great gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so a brief history of leprosy. There are less than 10 incidents in the Bible um, of people with leprosy, but we know that it was more common than that because in Leviticus 13, long ago, the law of Moses, thousands of years before this story, there's several chapters dedicated to the treatment of leprosy. Well, not that it could be cured, but um, in chapter 13, there are steps to take and all these things to, if somebody has leprosy, what do you do? <clears throat> so in modern terms, leprosy uh, medically, they renamed it Hansen's disease. Leprosy is from a Greek word. It means to peel or scales. So maybe they thought it's a bit rough on the ears. Let's rename it. It's a slowly developing progressive disease caused by bacterial infection, a specific bacterial infection that damages the skin and the nervous system. It has only been curable um, since the invention of antibiotics in the 20th century. It can take up to a minimum of 12 months of constant um, antibiotic treatment um, to cure, and sometimes even longer. And then begins a series of surgeries to restore the damaged nervous system and to reconstructive surgeries to um, regraft the skin that has been completely eaten away. It is infectious and sometimes airborne. <clears throat> it's, it's rough. It forms red or white sores that covers your body. And so with that in mind, 
we get a glimpse, we have to understand ritual purity, okay? So it's like a layered cake. There's a lot to be said about it. But it comes down to the fact that God is holy, utterly pure in his very being. His holiness repels sin. Because of our sin, it had an effect on creation itself. We call it the fall. So not only does sin affect our soul, our inner being, but it affects our body as well. It affects the world around us, death and disease. In the Jewish culture, in order to be close to God, so the tabernacle and the temple was there, and it contained a localized holiness of God. God is everywhere, but in the temple, his localized holy presence was there. And in order to even come close to that, they had to somehow cleanse themselves of this fallen world, the effects of sin that we carry in our physical bodies, and to somehow cover the sin that is like a leprous infection on our inner being so that they could live in close proximity to God's holiness. That's the purpose of ritual purity. That's the purpose of the book of Leviticus. So in chapter 13, well, throughout the Bible, one way is through fire, okay? <laughs> His holiness is, is like the sun, wholly unique in our solar system. There's nothing else like the sun. But if we come close to it, we obliterate, we evaporate. Nothing can withstand the heat of the sun. Without it, though, life cannot exist. So God's holiness is is kind of like that. Just in his being, sin cannot exist in proximity to God. We will be obliterated otherwise. In Isaiah, Isaiah stands before God's throne in a vision. And before he's able to hear what God says, Isaiah falls down and he says, I am unclean. I'm a man of unclean lips. And, he, and he's just waiting for the holiness to obliterate him. And then an angel comes with a coal, a searing hot coal. And he touches Isaiah and he says, you are clean now. You may stand in the presence of God and hear what he has to say. 
So fire. The other one is blood, sacrifice. Okay? It could be achieved temporarily to endure God's presence. And the book of Leviticus gives all these rules of what to do and what not to do. Here's another example. They couldn't touch rotting dead flesh. You know Samson. Samson, right? He went out and fought a bunch of Philistines. Okay? He was a military... That was... Nothing wrong with that. But he got into big, big trouble... That's the understatement. Because he took the jawbone of an ox and used it as a weapon to fight the Philistines. But he got it off of a dead carcass. He was not allowed to touch it. He got into trouble for that. So when it comes to leprosy, what is the restoration process? Because of what we just read, a priest, not a physician, had to diagnose this condition. There were steps to take to quarantine the individual, and a detailed description of the symptoms were given because to definitively determine if it was leprosy or not. It took several weeks, actually, because they had to be sure. They had to be sure of it. It seems that this was a different strain. I, uh, the research I did, um, uh, this is not the case anymore, but uh, it could survive on clothes and surfaces because it even gives details of how to um, a process of disinfecting the person's clothes and sanitizing it. Hey, that's pretty amazing. The Bible isn't a, a medical textbook, but where it intersects with science and medicine, it, it's completely... Um, in line. So 2,000 years before Christ, they were disinfecting their clothes. It was serious that they were sure because they had to ostracize that person. If this person was leprous, they couldn't cure. It was a lifelong disease that would ultimately take this person's life. They had to be removed from general society for the safety of everyone. And so they were put outside the camp to live there. But also because they can never be richly pure again because of this disease. So they distanced themselves. They had to cover their lips. They had to always cover their mouth. You know why we wear masks now? <laughs> it's 
so that if we're sick and we cough, there's a less likely chance that we will make other people sick. And they had to do that, right? Amazing. And he had to say, unclean, unclean, in a loud voice, so that people won't come near that person unknowingly. That was the process. So it was a death sentence. But why then? Why, as we read in Luke, was there a ritual in the law that someone that was cleansed from leprosy That they, that they had to perform this sacrificial ritual. If it was incurable, why is that in the Bible? And the form of this ritual is unique in itself. It very similar to another kind of sacrifice that we read about. So why does it matter? <clears throat> If we look back in history, the history of humanity, to see this at work, to see how a sacrifice can cover and restore our relationship with God. In the Garden of Eden, the very first sacrifice ever made was made by God. It says he killed an animal and he used the leather to make clothes for Adam and Eve. They had hidden themselves because the proof of their sin was apparent. They realized they were naked, the Bible says, and so they were removed from the presence of God. And to cover it, to cover it, he made clothes for them. To temporarily and in some measure, restore fellowship. It wasn't perfect, and they had a long way to go. Later on, what about the Passover? Death itself. We know from the Bible that death is the result of sin. Death in the physical and in the spiritual is because of sin. And death itself went over the entire nation to, to judge, to um, exact um, uh, punishment. <clears throat> and what did the Israelites have to do? They had to kill a spotless lamb, spotless, not tainted in their body with sin, <clears throat> And they had to cover their doorposts with the blood so that when the angel of death passed over, he would see, oh, there is a sacrifice that has been made. There is a covering. Later on, it was written in the law, the atonement sacrifice, once a year, for the sins of every, all the nation, they had to perform a specific atonement sacrifice. And the priests would go and sprinkle blood on everyone, symbolically covering their sin. 
What's another one? This is not a trick question. What was the last sacrifice that we read about in the Bible? That of Christ. And the difference is that this sacrifice doesn't cover the sin, but it washes away the stain of sin. It cleanses us. And so the imagery we see in the story is not by accident. So the leper's faith towards Christ. This disease, more than any other in the Bible, is an illustration of what sin does to the soul. To the inner being of a person. It makes the person, some of the symptoms medically, um, it can cause damage to the retina because it attacks the nervous system so people can go blind. Um, it numbs the nerves. You stop feeling pain. It's incurable <laughs> for them. It was widely known and said that only an act of God could cleanse someone of leprosy. And they obviously were right. <clears throat> If we think about the symptoms of sin, it numbs our heart to the receptive uh, call of the Lord. It hardens our senses to, to hearing the Lord's voice and to conviction. It blinds us. The Bible says that. It blinds us to the truth. And there's nothing that we can do within ourselves to heal us of the disease called sin. Only God can cleanse it. <clears throat> so this leper, he took a leap of faith because he knew God is able. He took a huge risk in approaching Jesus. He was breaking the law. But he was so sure, he was so convinced that Jesus was able to heal him, that he went anyway. And this is the response that comes with faith. You see, faith is not a work that we do to earn salvation. We know this. But rather, salvation is a free gift. And those are not my words, those are the words that Paul uses in Romans, a free gift of salvation. Faith is the hand by which we extend to accept this undeserved gift. And you can see it like that. Despite what you have done, despite the risk of approaching the God who we sin against, our sin is crimes against God, no one else. Despite his holiness, I am going to be consumed. I'm going to be obliterated. Despite that, you know that he is also the only one 
that can cleanse you, that can save you. And so we reach out in faith, Lord, save me. He asked if God is willing. He said, Lord, if you will. And this is interesting. Perhaps the leper thought that the leprosy that he was incurring was because of something he did and he felt maybe this is the Lord's will. But something told him that this is not the case. That if I reach out in faith, Lord, your will be done. You know, that's, that's like repentance. Repentance, if you word it differently, says, I am no longer going to seek my will. I'm no longer going to do what I think is right. I'm going to seek what God thinks is right. I'm going to seek his will. Repentance is like that. Lord, your will be done. Pastor Rocky preached about that. Denying yourself and picking up your cross. <clears throat> he asked if God is willing. And yes, God said, Jesus said, I am. And then he touched him. So, there's always this debate, did Jesus break the law because he touched a leper? <laughs> no. Because the law is so that uh, the person um, doesn't become unclean themselves. But Christ is the, is the, the source, uh, the, the resonating embodiment of God. He is holy. He imparts he doesn't become defiled. He imparts purity. So no, he didn't break the law. And he touched him and the man was restored. And then it says, <clears throat> go and perform that ritual that was written in the Bible thousands of years before this encounter that even though no one in the history ever went and performed that ritual, you're going to go and do it. <laughs> Imagine the shock on their faces when he did go and he said, I I'm, was cleansed of leprosy, I'm here to perform the ritual. What the ritual was, you took two birds, one was killed over running water, and then the other bird, and I'm oversimplifying, was dipped into that water, mixed with the blood, and then set free. Now, if that doesn't sound similar <laughs> to another sacrifice, I don't think that's by coincidence. And he did this, in Mark it says, he preached wildly, he told 
everyone that he could come across about Jesus, even though he was instructed not to. We know that Jesus had an unfolding plan and he wanted, there was an order to his uh, earthly ministry. Despite that, this man went and told everyone he could not contain the message of what had happened to us. Today, we don't have that restriction. We are commanded to do exactly what this man did. If we are saved, if we have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, why aren't we going out wildly and telling everyone that we can? There's this fervent hunger to share what Jesus has done in your life. I don't have that always. But I'm not ashamed. I want people to know the truth. Don't always get opportunity. But there's not a person in my life that doesn't know what I believe. We don't have this restriction anymore. We can tell everyone freely, and we should. So is the Bible inclusive or exclusive? It is exclusive in the sense that salvation is not universally given to everyone by default. But in repentance and faith, no one is too far gone to receive it. And it is inclusive in that sense. There is no life that cannot be sanctified, no heart that cannot be softened, no sin that cannot be forgiven. They say the only unforgivable sin is unbelief. The the rejection of this gospel, the hardening of your heart, the turning away from the truth. He isn't going to force salvation on those who turn away, and so they do not receive it. Unfortunately, many people today will die with their sin. Many people fill up churches that do not preach the gospel, that are disillusioned to the truth, that are sincere, I'm sure, but that are not on the right path. There is only one way, there is only one person who can cleanse us of our sin. 
so it's exclusive in that sense. There aren't many ways to God. There's one way. And it could offend some people to hear that. But that's the truth, and we must preach it and, and guard it. But it's inclusive because no one, no one, if they come with faith and repentance, no one is too far gone. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Here's a quote from a commenter on this passage. This teaches that both ministers and people not to be hasty in our censors, not to judge anything before the time. If some men's sins go before them into judgment, the sins of others follow after. <laughs> if this person suspected were found to be clean, he's referring to Leviticus 13, yet he must wash his clothes because there was ground for suspicion. We need to be washed with the blood of Christ. For who can say, I am pure from sin? <clears throat> so here's the question that I want to leave with you. <clears throat> if you examine your own heart this morning, are you right with God? I know many of you sitting here, we've crossed that bridge together. I was in your homes. But a checkup might be good. Do I know Christ? Have I placed my faith in him? Have I repented of my sin in this life? Or do I still walk around with this leprosy? And there is, I've been ostracized from the presence of God. This passage teaches us about who Christ is ultimately, uh, as does the, the Gospels. In the same chapter, we're going to read about how he forgives a man his sins. We're going to read about how he sits and has dinner with Matthew, the tax collector, and all his sinful buddies. And Jesus says, I have come for the broken. I have come to restore them. And so as we look out to our family and friends, ultimately as well, Have you withheld 
the gospel because of resentment, because of history? Have you judged someone not knowing that salvation is offered to them just as much as it is to you? It makes me so angry, so very, very angry when you hear on the news people picketing burn in hell, you know, in front of um, things that we, we know to be wrong. They, these things are wrong. <clears throat> but to say God hates lesbians and God hates this type of person, and it's, it's appalling and it is not from God. That is not how we bring people to faith in Christ. So consider your hearts and consider the people around you who you would potentially share the gospel with. Are they worthy? Not to think, are they worthy of it? <laughs> Sometimes we do. We let our prejudice affect our evangelism. Let us pray. In Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you for this time once again. We thank you for those who are here, and we pray for those who are not, who are traveling. We pray mercy for them, and we thank you once again for this beautiful day that we can come and worship you. In your, in your name, amen. Right.